Good morning. Welcome to the lecture that corresponds to Chapter 4 in Economics 1500. This is, uh, is titled. I don't know if I mentioned it the first lecture, but let me mention it now to provide a uh, introduction to this uh, this chapter. There are th there are three social questions, as I adjust my mic, that societies must deal with because of scarcity. That is, societies must choose what to produce. We have scarce resources. We have to decide what to produce with those scarce resources. Uh, furthermore, we have to decide how to produce whatever goods we decide to produce with our resources in society. How do we go about producing those goods? For any particular good, you can do, use a different combination of resources and techniques to produce the good. And finally, in a world of scarcity and unlimited wants, we have to decide who is going to get those goods. Or in other words, how is income distributed? Because the distribution of income will determine who will get the goods that are produced because those with high incomes will be able to purchase the goods that are produced. Those with no incomes will not be able to produce, excuse me, will not be able to purchase any goods. So those are the three social questions. And those three questions pop up in this chapter. That is chapter four. What to produce? how to produce, and for whom to produce. Now let's look at the first question as I, as I do this. Call up your slides. The first question of what to produce. Well, in a, in a, in a private, an economy characterized, well, let me say it this way. In our, in our society, in the United States, we primarily rely upon the market system to answer those three questions. And that's what the title of chapter four is, the market system and the private sector. And we'll talk, those terms are almost synonymous, the market system and the private sector. But let's just, let me just say that in the, in the, in the U.S. economy, many nations, they rely upon the institution or the mechanism we call a market to produce, uh, to decide what goods are produced, how goods are produced, and for whom goods are produced. Now remember, market system is 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 characterized by the lack of government control. We don't have a a uh, a centrally planned economy in which there is a a government committee that decides what to produce and issues instructions to business firms on how to produce and then this committee decides who gets what's produced. We just rely upon markets. The markets are characterized by free choice. Individuals are left to do what they want. You can, you can, uh, if you are an owner of resources, you can, and we all are owners of one resource, we own our own labor. You can decide what to do with that labor. If you're an owner of a business firm or other capital or land, you can decide what to do with that, those resources. If you are a consumer, you decide what to buy. And uh, so we have all these individuals that are just left to do what they want. Of course, we know that they react and make choices based on their own rational self-interest. And out of this chaos, out of this unplanned system, emerges the answers to the questions of what to produce, how to produce, and for whom to produce. And we just want to put a little more, you know, that, that's the basic story, but we just want to put a little, little more meat uh, on how the market system actually accomplishes that. Well, we saw in last chapter that uh, markets set prices. 
and uh, prices will tell producers what's profitable to produce. Uh, more specifically, consumers. Now, if we go to slide three, now we're just, we're just thinking about the question of what to produce. In slide three, it says the mar in the market system of the private sector, the consumer is supreme. Now, what that means is, we as consumers, we call the shots. We're out there buying goods. Our tastes and preferences will determine what business firms will produce. They react. They want to produce what's profitable. And that's another important uh, element of a market system, the role of profits. Firms, owners of resources, businesses want to earn a profit. That's in their rational self-interest. They want to make money. The only way they can do that is be res by responding to consumers. Bill Gates is extraordinarily rich. Why? Because he made you and me happy. We use his software. We buy his software. We demand his software. His company, Microsoft, produces. You get producers, business firms, become rich in a market system by responding to consumers. Not taking advantage of consumers, but by making consumers happy. Because I don't care how powerful Microsoft is, they can't force you to buy their goods. Some of you are thinking, oh, yes, they can. There's no choice. Maybe Microsoft's a bad example because they're what we call a, a bit of a monopoly. Uh, but stick with that example. Microsoft cannot force you. It's not like the government which can force you to give up your uh, tax dollars. Microsoft cannot force you to buy their products. We buy them because we like them. And they aid in our... They, they, we, they, uh, they result in... Uh, our increased productivity and, and they, we, we just like their products uh, and Microsoft and Bill Gates have become rich so Microsoft seeking profits but to get profits they have to respond to consumers so in the final analysis it is consumers that determine what is produced and that's why we use the term consumer sovereignty uh, as opposed to a centrally planned in a centrally planned economy where uh, the government could decide what's produced. In the old Soviet Union, there was a committee called Gazplan that would make up enormous lists of what to produce. And then this Gazplan would send out instructions to state enterprises on how to produce. It was a very cumbersome system and it failed, which is interesting. A, a, a system characterized by careful planning doesn't really work. Historically, these kinds of systems have not worked in producing the needs of society, responding to the demands of society, and, and resulting in uh, a high degree of uh, economic efficiency. But yet, a system characterized by unplanning, no planning, just people left to do what they want, we get what's produced. We don't have a lot of shortages in the United States. Firms respond and produce what consumers want, no more, no less. There's nobody today in charge of making sure there's bread and cheese available in downtown Manhattan. There's no bread or cheese produced in downtown. Bread, cheese, and milk, we'll say, in downtown Manhattan. There's no wheat growing down there. There's no cows being milked and cheese being made. But yet, you can be in downtown Manhattan today, and you can buy bread, cheese, and milk. Cheap. Ample quantity. 
at the same time, there's not too much bread, cheese and milk. There's not, it's not going to waste. It's not being built up. There's not a surplus of these three products in downtown Manhattan today. There's not more bread, meat, meat uh, bread, milk, and cheese coming into downtown Manhattan that consumers are buying. It's not building up and cheese rotting in the alleyways and milk spoiling in the alleyways and bread molding. In a system characterized by un no planning, there's just the right amount of milk going into downtown Manhattan daily and bread going into downtown Manhattan daily and cheese going into Manhattan daily to meet the needs of consumers in downtown Manhattan. It's really quite a marvelous system if you think about it. And that's true all over the all over the, the globe where markets supply. The right amount of goods are produced. There are neither generally neither shortages uh, nor or their or their surpluses. This principle that is the this this notion that in a system characterized by no planning the needs of society are want are, are met. Uh, my example of Manhattan is is was noticed and appreciated by Adam Smith many years ago. And Adam Smith talked about the invisible hand principle. Let's go to slide five, where it says, uh, he, uh, Adam Smith argued that the production and distribution decisions we made, if they're made in a decentralized way, that uh, this maximized individual and personal freedoms uh, as if the economy were coordinated by an invisible hand. In other words, we, we have all these individuals. There, there, are, there are dairy farmers and wheat farmers and trucking companies and grocery stores. They're all just out there, not interested in the needs of society necessarily, but just maximizing their own profits, interested in their own self-being, self-interest, rational self-interest. But out of that, trucking companies, groceries, grocers, wheat farmers, dairy farmers, cheese manufacturers, bakers, all of their actions are coordinated in such a way that there is bread, milk, and cheese available in the right amounts and in a wide variety to meet the needs of the consumers in Manhattan. It's as if there were an invisible hand that coordinated all of these individual decisions to produce the needs of society. Adam Smith called this the invisible hand. Uh, and that's that's uh, you know, that's a big point of of chapter eight. Well, let's go to the next. So the, to summarize, the question of what to produce is answered. Uh, it, uh, it's determined by what consumers want. How about the questions of how goods are produced? Well, firms are left to decide. Business firms. Now, if you go to slide six, firms have the desire to uh, uh, maximize profits. They want to earn a profit. That's how they stay in business. Although competitive pressures make it very difficult to earn anything over the, above a normal profit or just a reasonable return to the owners of the resources, but as a consequence, with, with because of competition, firms to survive have to be efficient. Well, good think you know think about this again. From a society's from society's perspective, we want resources in a world of scarcity. We want to produce efficiently. Now, there's no czar of efficiency in the United States, but yet. The forces of mark the, the markets, the pressures of competition, and the desires of firms to maximize profits will force them to be efficient. So the answer of how goods are how are goods produced? Well, directly firms decide for themselves how to produce, but the but competition within the market system forces them to be efficient. 
Furthermore, competition drives prices down to what we call economic costs. Now, part of economic cost, part of the cost of producing a good is a return to the, is the opportunity cost of the resources. So a wheat farmer growing wheat, when, we, when an economist thinks of the cost of growing wheat, it's the opportunity cost of the land, uh, as well as the price the wheat farmer pays for fertilizer, fuel, and hired labor. He could do something else with the land. What we're saying here is competition drives prices down to economic cost, but included in that cost is a return to the land so and the labor of the farmer. So it's still worth his or her interest to grow wheat as long as they're earning a return, a normal return to their labor and their land. Uh, but the, the basic idea is competition will force prices down to, to economic costs, therefore providing producers products to consumers at the lowest possible prices. Uh, well, yeah, think about that. We, we want goods produced efficiently. Competition ensures that that will take place. Moreover, competition will force prices down to the minimum price consistent with that good being produced. Now, if prices are too low, nobody will produce the good. If wheat prices are so low, nobody will grow wheat. But if consumers want wheat, they'll bid the price up high enough just to entice wheat farmers to grow wheat. Because wheat farmers will return, earn, earn a reasonable return to their own land and their own labor and their own capital. They'll, they'll replace the opportunity cost of their land, labor, and capital. That's what we're saying here in the second half of slide five. Com competition drives prices down to economic costs. In other words, the minimum cost the price will be the minimum level that will entice resource providers to produce that good. But in a world of scarcity, that's how we want goods produced. So the question of how to produce, left to producers, but competition forces them to be efficient. And there are a couple, couple diagrams using the supply and demand model developed in slide in chapter 3 that shows that if demand conditions change, firms will respond by producing more or less. If... Uh, in uh, I think sticking with my wheat example, if there's suddenly a dramatic decrease in demand for bread because of the Atkins diet, prices of wheat will fall. Farmers will respond by producing less wheat. That's all we're saying in slides six and eight. Those those are different examples talking about restaurants and delivered food. But the idea is is, is changes in demand change prices. That'll change the decisions of resource providers and more or less of the good will be produced. So markets have markets react. Producers react to changes in prices. That's the essence of a market system. We notice we know from chapter three that markets set prices. Prices send the signal to producers on how much to produce. If consumers who are sovereign want less of a product, they'll demand less, prices will fall, firms will respond by producing less. Nobody uh, has, uh, from Adam Smith, even from Adam Smith on, even Karl Marx and others who had serious complaints about the market system, have never argued the market system is not a a wondrous mechanism for producing what consumers want. Also, all have agreed that markets are a, a, a the market is a great mechanism for producing goods efficiently. In other words. Markets answer the first two social questions 
that is the questions of what to produce and how to produce in a socially desirable way. The answers are socially optimal. Let me say that again. A market system will provide socially optimal or desirable good answers to the questions of what to produce and how to produce. Those answers are what consumers want. And to the second question, goods will be produced efficiently. The problem has been that markets may not give a, a satisfactory, in the eyes of some, a satisfactory answer to the question of for whom to produce. If you go to slide 9, in a market system, those with the income will get the goods that are produced. Hmm. And we know, if we live in a society, income may not be distributed equally, and so some may get many of the goods that are produced, and some of us will not get much of what is produced. There will be the rich and the poor. And that's where, uh, historically, some social philosophers or others have had problems or criticisms of the market. Or they have criticized the market based, the market system based on the answer the market system may give to that third question of who gets the goods that are produced, or in other words, for whom to produce. Some complain that the income distribution determined by the market may be too unequal. Well, let's look at slide nine. Uh, who gets who, who receives the income? Well, income is derived from the owners. You receive income from owner, owning resources. Now, we all own our labor. Some own land. Some own capital. Either directly through owning direct ownership of a factory or machines or indirectly through owning stock of a company that uh, owns factories and machines. So you either you, you own resources. You derive income from owning resources. Some own, own more than others. And owner resources have different value. We all own our own labor, but some labor is more valuable than other, other labor. Uh, Alex Smith, the quarterback that graduated from Utah last year and signed a huge multi-million dollar contract with San Francisco. And by the way, he's only played he's played very little with San Francisco so far. Well, because he's he's a, he's an athletic fellow who can throw the ball, football, and can run. Society has placed a high value on those athletic skills because we like to be entertained and watch athletic folks inter uh, do throw balls. So Alex Smith derives a high income from the wage he receives from his labor. Now, I'm just a humble college professor. I have no skills. I have no discernible skills as you might have noticed. So college professors will make far less, far less than professional athletes, quarterbacks for professional football teams. Uh, so, so the market system determines the value of your resource. And we all also own different resources. Some may own some capital. And the capital you receive, the return to capital, we call interest. Now, I know some of you are saying out there, well, if you own stock, you get a dividend. Well, we're just going to think of all return to capital. Ownership of capital is called interest. Ownership to natural resources we call rents. That's the terminology we use. So wage, the wage is the return to labor. Interest is the return to capital. Rents are the return to land. Now, remember, land is not just agricultural land, but it's all natural resources. If you own 
a lot of resources, the market has set a high value of those resources, you will get much of what's produced. Your income will be high. The same time, if by poor decisions, poor luck, you end up with no, nothing of value, no resources of value to sell in the marketplace, you may end up with a low income and eating out of a garbage can at the hotel, at the, at the airport in Los Angeles. And we have both in the United States. We have the very, very rich and the very, very poor. And uh, and it's it's really that's a it's a it's more it's not an economic question whether that's just or unjust. It's a moral question. We can't fault the market for resulting in an income an unequal income distribution because I'm not sure what is the correct income distribution. All equal? Would you like to see it all equal? Everybody gets the same slice of the pie. What is the correct income distribution? Economics won't, can't provide that answer. Uh, based on some moral argument, people may not want to see the very rich and the very poor. And so that answer to that third question is, is a problematic question. And in fact, much of the public debate we see going on in our society on the role of government concerns that third question. What role should the government take in altering the income distribution? Should the government take from the rich and give to the poor? Should it take from the young and give to the old? Much of what the U.S. government does, and much of what we as society debate concerning the role of government, concerns that third question of for whom to produce. Let me hesitate here a minute while I take a little drink. I won't tell you what I'm drinking this uh, early this morning. <clears throat> well, let's skip ahead. There's a lot of... Uh, extra other additional material in that chapter very descriptive on so it talks about the three sectors of the of a, of a, of the private three parts of the private sector of economy consumers business firms and it tells you how business firms can be organized sole proprietorship partnerships corporations i'm going to let you just read all that i'm not sure i have much to add uh and it talks about the inter international sector trade surpluses and trade deficits just all terminology and uh, and descriptive material, I think you you can handle on your own. What I want to do is, is skip all the way ahead to slide 22 and 23. Now, in slide 22, this is a famous model. It's called the circular flow model. It sh it's an overview of how the market system works. And and uh, you see, at the, at the simplest level, we have two two sectors. We have firms which are producers and households which are consumers. Excuse me. Firms use resources provided by households. And households are the owners of resources. Let me let me just state that. Households own resources. We people own things. You say you 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 may say well firms businesses own things well but people own the firms so in the final analysis households own all of the resources land labor and capital now by the way we're ignoring government here we're just looking at the private sector households provide those resources to business firms and again depending on how many resources a particular individual has and the value of that resource that'll determine that household's income firms take those resources and produce goods and sell those back to households. So it just goes in a circle. Households sell resources with the income derived therefrom. They buy the goods produced by the firms. 
with the revenue the firms receive by providing selling goods and services to households, they use that revenue to turn around and buy more resources from households. So round and around uh, we go. And, and out of that circular flow comes an answer to the questions of what to produce, how to produce, and for whom to produce. Now one complication is that we have households do not necessarily spend all of their income. Ignoring the government for the time, we know we know we give some of our income to government, but we also save some of it. But that goes back through the banking system, the financial what we call financial intermediaries, and business firms borrow that and use that to invest. That is purchase capital, uh, and so even though some of households' income does not directly go back to firms in the form of purchases of goods and services, it goes back to firms in the form of investment. And investment spending, we mean something very specific by that term. We mean the purchase of capital, not the buy purchase of stocks, bonds. In, in economics, we use that term investment in this context to mean the purchase of capital goods. Business firms buy capital goods. Households buy goods and services to consume. Business firms per build uh, factories and purchase capital with which to make goods and services. And so that, that, that part of household's income finds its way back to business firms. Not directly, but indirectly through the financial intermediaries. Now, slide 23 just complicates things a little bit by recognizing that the other sector of the private, the other part of the private sector is foreign countries. Not all of the goods and services purchased by domestic households comes from domestic firms. Some of it we buy from overseas. That's called imports. Likewise, not all of the goods and services produced by domestic firms are sold to domestic households. It's exported. And so, in, in thinking about the whole private sector, we have to uh, recognize exports and imports. Well, we'll put more. We'll we'll talk more about this uh, uh, later, and we we get into macroeconomics and build our aggregate supply, aggregate demand model. But for now, that's a nice picture. Slides 22 and 23 of the functioning of the market system and ignoring for the time being the role of government. This is just the private sector. Well, I think I'll end there, and I hope, that, I hope this has been of some value. See you next week. Bye-bye.